Let's pray, shall we? Uh, God, indeed, this is your world, and you have created it, uh, us included. So we gather in this moment to worship you. Please pour out your spirit on us. We, we want to draw near to you and help us in that, God. Uh, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you today. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors at this church. If, if you happen to be a guest today, it's great to be worshiping with you. Welcome. We're uh, continuing a, a fall preaching series that we just began last week on the Apostles' Creed, uh, and it's just titled The Creed, and it's um, uh, really a series dedicated to exploring what Christians believe. So in that sense, it's, it's kind of important whether or not you've been kind of hiking the trail of Christianity for years and you feel like it's a well-worn path, one that you know quite well, or, uh, or whether you might consider yourself on, on the newer end of things, maybe even having arrived at the trailhead for the very first time and looking up at this trail and wondering if it's the right thing for you at all. So wh- wherever you're at in, in this, uh, it's okay. And I think the Apostles' Creed can be helpful for us because it charts out just the well-worn paths, the main thoroughfares of the faith, so to speak. And uh, last week, as we were kind of kicking off, we looked at a couple images. I found this map online and actually learned you can get a map in this level of detail for the entire United States. It's on the National Geographic website. These are called quad maps. And uh, if you could see this up close, you would see that this map includes absolutely everything. The, the little orangish sections are residential areas, so they don't include all of the structures in those areas. But otherwise, it's, it's topographical. It has elevations. It includes every structure, every road. I mean, it's everything. So if that's the Bible, then this map is the Apostles' Creed. Well, get it? I mean, it's just the main roads, Right? Um, really, the Apostles' Creed would probably have less residential roads. It's just this, the main parts of the map. doesn't include every little detail, just the important stuff. Uh, and by the way, I jokingly, I made fun of Cascadia last week. If you were around for that, I thought, I said, I've never heard of Cascadia. Who calls that? It's a thing. It's real. So the Golden Triangle, I learned. Grand Rapids Township, but not in in East Grand Rapids or such. So it's actually a real deal that realtors know about. So, so pardon me if I offended you. <laughs> um, and today we're, we're diving into the first major road of Christianity, and it's the, uh, as stated by the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Father Almighty, the, the first line of the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So that's where we're heading today. And the, the scripture that's one of the major foundations of this claim comes from uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. So let me, let me read this verse for you. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, indeed, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, let's, let's do just a, a real quick review of last week. And we, we won't do this every week, but just in terms of framing the series again so that we have our minds around it. 
uh, some, some quick background on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was not written by the Apostles, but it's a simple and concise summary of their teaching. Uh, it began as a baptismal creed. We can track it back to about the date 100 A.D., It existed in the early church as something of a course syllabus for people who had committed their lives to Jesus and wanted to learn what it meant to follow Jesus. And this syllabus would include a two to three year course of study for people as they learned about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus that would culminate in their baptism on an Easter Sunday morning in in that early church. So the Apostles' Creed, a summary of their teaching. The Apostles' Creed states the common ground upon which all Christians stand. And that's really something of the genius of this. It's the bare minimum of the Christian faith. It's such a simple summary of the major thoroughfares of Christianity that you could say it really puts a line in the sand. To believe less than the claims of the Apostles' Creed is probably to cross the line from being a follower of Jesus to being one exploring the claims of Jesus. And again, wherever you're at is just fine. Uh, But it's, it's that kind of summary of the faith. It really articulates what it means to be a, a Christian, a follower of the way, a follower of Jesus. So common ground. The creed states the core beliefs in which Christians place their trust and their confidence. And this is critical for us if we want uh, kind of the pocket map Uh, with us to show us the way, to remember the way. It's also very critical in our culture because we live in a a culture, a day, a world that that, uh, is in such a deep crisis of faith. Again, last week we rehearsed some of the sociological work that's been done in our country. A big uh, sociologist at Notre Dame named Christian Smith did a big survey of then-American teenagers now they're about the age of the millennial generation, to determine what those young people believed. And he found that the, the actual beliefs of that group 10 or 15 years ago did not fall in line with any major religion in the world. That it was, in fact, a new de facto religion, uh, one that included three primary tenets. Uh, and he, he gave it a name, which is, it's, it's a, big name, moralistic therapeutic deism, but it's a way to summarize what young people in the United States believed and what largely our culture believes. A deism, belief in God, but God's way out there somewhere, not involved in my daily life, and he's just letting the world unwind on its own. Moralistic, this belief that God is real, but our relationship with God is performance-based, and God wants us to be more good and less bad. And therapeutic, The ultimate goal of life is our happiness and enjoyment of life, and we should structure our existence to that end. That that was the faith that that they had. And there's this famous quote by the Swiss uh, psychiatrist and psychoanalyst Carl Jung. He said, the world will ask you who you are. If you don't know, it will tell you. Now, I don't know if he was a person of faith or not, but he certainly was describing a spiritual reality. The world has a pattern. And it doesn't just exist out there as an option for us to consider. The world is trying to foist its pattern upon us. It it would be much like if we were fish swimming in a fishbowl. The culture, that pattern of the world, is the water in which we swim every day. 
and we can't help but breathe it in and breathe it out. And that, that pattern is seeking to make us look like it. That's why the scripture can say uh, something like this. Oh, actually, let me hit one other thing first. Uh, Ken, let me hit those three. So the, the pattern as revealed in that big sociological study is this. God is real but uninvolved in my life. Life is about me and my happiness and God wants me to be more good and less bad. A relationship with God is performance-based, right? So this is the pattern of the world. But the Bible says this. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So be aware that there's a pattern out there that's trying to, trying to make us conform to it. And if you uh, have spiritual eyes open and spiritual ears unplugged, you will see, hear, and feel this happening in your own life all the time, right? If you're a student in, in middle or high school, happening all over the place, a pattern seeking to make you conform to it. But the, the faith that we have says there's a whole different view. There's a whole different pattern. And we could seek to be transformed to be like that instead of being reduced to the pattern of the world that's, that's seeking our confirmation. So the Apostles' Creed is the simple roadmap of that different way. It's opposite the pattern of the world. So that, that's the frame for the big series again. So now let's dive in. What does it actually say? I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I It's a personal statement. The Apostles' Creed is a personal statement of faith. Yes, it summarizes kind of the teaching of the church, what what it is that Christians believe, but the important thing here is that the faith become our faith. It's it's a bit like the story of Jacob. I remember as a, a brand new follower of Jesus reading through the Bible for the first time. And I don't think I caught it the first time through. It was probably a bit later in my journey, but I did catch it and noticed in Jacob's life up till that wrestling match with God that's recorded in the scripture, up till that point in his life, Jacob always referred to God as the God of my fathers or the God of my ancestors or better yet, the Lord your God. It wasn't his yet, right? But after that wrestling match with God, after he worked out things of faith, and it is a wrestling match for each of us, on the, the, the post side of that, he always referred to God as the Lord, my God. And that's the thing. You know, I don't know what your story was. Maybe you were raised in a Christian home, went to Christian schools your entire life. It was essentially impossible for you to miss the information about the faith. Yet it still could be possible for you to be in the place of referring to the Lord, your God, or the God of my parents. Right? It's about making it ours. And, and anyone who has wrestled with God in that way and thus crossed something of a line of faith and can say the Lord my God knows what a huge deal this is. It's not some kind of magic formula. 
It's just that God goes from being an idea, a religious concept, to being a person, a a person whom I can trust. And there's a world of difference between those two places. The Apostles' Creed begins in its very first word, assuming that whole world of meaning. I, the Lord, my God. I believe. I mean, that word in the creed was very intentionally chosen to match the word used for faith in the scripture. And it's a word that really means this. In the Bible, faith means actively believing into God. It's not just intellectual assent, like we like to believe in in our Western Enlightenment culture. It's not just about agreeing with religious concepts intellectually. Belief, faith, means apprehending something in such a way that it's impossible for it to not change you. It's your fundamental makeup and understanding about what's going on in the world, this world into which we awake every morning, and and what that means for me. Not just what I should be, but what's actually happening and how I've structured my life. That's what believe means. A, a, A simple summary could be, I am living in a relationship of commitment with God, who is a person who can be trusted, and I'm united with God in that way. I believe It's not just I think, right? It's it's a whole life commitment kind of thing. I, I believe, I believe in God. I mean, this is the scripture we read this morning, right? And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith, meaning that that whole understanding of what's really going on in the world, that, that kind of confident trust. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, Kind of step one, right? Believing that God is actually real. In the the ancient world, atheism was very, very rare and it was considered both odd and foolish. Right? It's, It's why Psalm 14 can start this way. Fools say in their heart, there is no God. I I don't know if you've uh, lived in Grand Rapids long enough, or actually this was a national campaign, so you, you might remember it from a different city. I think it was seven or eight years ago, an organization called the Center for Inquiry uh, ran a billboard campaign across the country, and there was a huge billboard on Highway 131 right downtown that read this, you don't need God to hope, to care, to love, to live. It's, it's an organization, uh, their mission statement is to foster a secular society based on the principles of reason, science, freedom of inquiry, and humanist values. And that has led them to actively campaign in the country against the idea of God. It's very interesting, isn't it? They have campus ministries. It's a fascinating thing. Actually, they really do. Um, trying to win people to this, this, this perspective. Biblically speaking, that idea was considered both odd and foolish. The, the Bible assumes that we can know stuff about God, specifically know that God is real, by just going outside and looking up. Look at, look at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge They have no speech, they use no words, no sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. 
their words to the ends of the world. Right? Or, or Romans 1. What may be known about God is plain to people because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. So that people are without excuse. Being a father of of, uh, two young boys now, I often find myself thinking about how how do you disciple your own kids, right? How do you convey convey the faith uh, in helpful ways and and share and all of that? And I know some of you have been there long ago. Some of you are in that place right now. Um, One one line that uh, I used while we were hiking around the Calvin Nature Preserve, actually, we, we came to a particularly beautiful tree and I just kind of said, well, we've got some tools in the basement. You know, can we build one of those? Nope. Look at the person next to you. Can you build one of those? There is an irrefutable logic and reality what may be known about God is plain to us, no matter what we might like to say, because we do wrong things, bad things, and we kind of want to hide, right? The reality of God is hiding in broad daylight, just right here, everywhere. I believe in God. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the, the two aspects of God's character, uh, personal, yet transcendent, huge, holy, all-powerful, almighty, yet close, personal, involved. In the, the, the Bible calls God our Father 175 times in the New Testament. It, it, it would appear that this is the primary image God wants us to take away from the New Testament. And, and, and I get that the word father can be loaded. It, it's, not a, it's not a gender thing here. It's not masculine or feminine. The, the, the point of this is that, you know, even if our own earthly fathers were less than stellar, the point is that God can demonstrate the love of a father as fathers and mothers are supposed to be. Right? Caring and kind strong and protecting, loving and gracious, patient and devoted, sacrificial and humble, nurturing and and encouraging. God is our father, meaning our perfect parent, possessing all of the good and virtuous qualities that we attribute to the very best earthly moms and dads. In parenting was God's idea And it's the primary image he wants us to take away as we think about our relationship with God. Remember, back to the Lord's Prayer, right? Jesus taught us. Our Father. That's this thing. I've I've been on the receiving end of this, uh, this experiment I'm about to share with you, and it was a very powerful thing. A friend of mine once said, okay, John, now, 
Imagine we go downtown Grand Rapids and we set up a, a steel cable an inch thick from the top floor of building to building. It's at least 500 feet across. And you're standing in one building, I'm in the other building, and I say, hey, John, come on over. I'll give you $50,000 if you walk across that tightrope. Would you do it? No way. Right. Give you 500000 to walk this. No way. Million? Nope. Five million? No. Now imagine I've got one of your boys by the ankle and I'm holding them out the window. I'm on that thing in a flash. If you do that exercise with parents there actually are observable physical reactions. When you, when you bring a parent down that line of thinking and get to the point where you say, no, now I've got your kid by the ankle and I'm dangling him out the building. A person's pupils uh, reduce in size. Their face goes neutral and they lose a bit of their color. These are all observable things. There is a hardwired reaction that says, no. No. I'm on that tightrope in an instant. Of course I'm on that. That's the image of God, friends. When the world, the flesh, and the devil had his kids by the ankle dangling them out the skyscraper, God said, no! And he was on that tightrope in an instant coming for you. That's who God is, according to the Bible. So whatever misunderstanding comes up, whatever kind of claim of God's judgmental and exclusive and all that nonsense, don't believe that. God's the one coming across that tightrope for you with everything he's got. Because you're his kid and he loves you like a perfect parent. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. There's this Almighty side to God. It is quite amazing. Uh, I skipped a lot there, Ken. Can you go down to the, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go right to the next phrase after this. Uh, God, the Father Almighty, the, the Almighty part, all powerful, created everything there is. So God is the Father who hop on the tightrope in an instant, yet God is also the one who's all powerful and, and holding all things together. It's an amazing thing. God is above all. God answers to no one, has all knowledge and all power and might. God is almighty. I believe in God, the Father Almighty. I think the sequence is important, isn't it? I take it to represent the biblical truth that God's power is preceded by his desire to be in relationship with us, that his power and almighty nature are focused on restoring relationship with us and making the world brand new. I believe in God, the Father Almighty.
creator of heaven and earth. That psalm is one of my favorites. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. It's just so true. I mean, the heavens whisper, the skies scream. God is real. The Belgic Confession puts it this way. The universe is before our eyes as a most beautiful book in which all created things, whether great or small, are as letters showing the invisible things of God. The theater of God's glory, said John Calvin. It's like we're watching a big movie all day, every day, and it's real. But when we say we believe in God as creator of heaven and earth, it's, it's, it's not the the deism thing. It's not like Benjamin Franklin who believed that God wound up the world like a clock and set it on the mantle and then walked away and it's unwinding on its own. We believe that, that God holds things together right now. The book of Colossians says that. In, in him, in God, all things hold together. I take that to mean literally that God is holding us together right now. If you're a physicist, you might be able to break that down to some kind of small nuclear force, but at the end of the day, we still wonder about that. Where does that come from? I think God's holding everything together. And without that ongoing work, stuff would not hold together. Like every breath is a gift, right? Okay, so I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Now that's all the information now, what do, what do we do with that? Got another tightrope illustration for you today. The very first guy to ever cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope was a man named Charles Blondin. And he did it on June 30th, 1859. There were about 25,000 people gathered to witness this incredible feat. A wire had been strung across the entire falls. And he made it across on that day. But the truly amazing thing is what happened in the days to follow. Listen to this account of it. In the days that followed, Blondin walked across the falls many times. Once he walked across on stilts. Another time he took a chair and a small stove with him and sat down midway across, cooked an omelet, and ate it. Once he carried his manager across, riding piggyback. On one occasion, he asked the cheering spectators if, the, if, he, if they thought he could push a person across in a wheelbarrow. A mighty roar of approval rose from the crowd. Spying a man cheering loudly, he asked, Sir, do you think I could safely carry you across in this wheelbarrow? Yes, of course, the man replied. Then get in. The man refused. (laughs) It's one thing to believe the guy could make it across the tightrope himself. It's another thing to believe that he could wheel someone across in a wheelbarrow. And it's something else altogether to hop in the wheelbarrow. That's Christian faith. If you're new to this, and you've heard people talk about giving your heart to Jesus, or receiving Christ, or allowing God to forgive your sins, or whatever kind of other Christian catchphrase people might have thrown at you, This is what we're trying to say. You can get in the wheelbarrow. There's a person you can trust so completely. You can hop right in. 
and he will take you across. The Apostle Paul said it this way, I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I know whom I have believed. See, at the end of the day, we don't really believe in the Apostles' Creed. We believe in a person. We believe in Jesus, who is alive right now and deeply interested in our lives. The Apostles' Creed was the summary of the teaching of the Apostles. And let's not forget the fullness of their witness to us. Remember, church history says that 11 of the 12 of them were executed for the faith because they simply would not stop talking about Jesus. To their dying breath, their witness to the world about Jesus was, he's alive right now. We saw him with our eyes. We touched him with our hands. We spoke to him after he was already dead but came back to life. We ate with him. He's alive. And he loves us better than the most perfect parent you can ever imagine. There's nothing bad about this news at all. It is good through and through. See, God is not waiting to judge you. God is not uh, waiting to condemn you. God is waiting to receive you, all of us, with open arms. It's the good news that all those 39,000 folks heard down at City Fest last weekend. I mean, this is who God is. So wherever you're at in your journey, turn to him again, or the first time. If you want to talk more about what it looks like to actually hop in the wheelbarrow, I'd love to talk about that. With no arm twisting, I promise. There's just a huge difference between thinking about God as an idea and actually trusting God. And the difference is between religion and following Jesus, Christianity. Uh, You probably know the name John Wesley. He's the founder of Methodism. He had been a pastor for many years before he came to trust Christ. Did you know this? Listen to his story. On May 24th, 1738, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Martin Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was thus describing the changes which God works in the heart through faith in Christ... I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust Christ, Christ alone for my salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. That was his moment when God went from being an idea to a person when he moved from thinking the wheelbarrow could carry him across to actually hopping in the wheelbarrow. See, I'm I'm sometimes deeply concerned 
that in our churches in the United States, there might be a surprising number of people who think of themselves as Christians, but never get any further than accepting the truth of Christianity or the the ideas of it, intellectually uh, agreeing with religious propositions. Let me just really be clear, that is not what this is about. There's content to think about and believe. But there's a huge difference between believing God exists and trusting God with all of who you are. Not only your earthly life and what happens after this, but your earthly present and what's going on now. And crossing that line for the first time is is a really, really big deal. We all need to do it. And once you kind of do it, there's no looking back. And, and once we do cross that line of faith, we're ushered into a lifetime of making that decision kind of every day, right? Choosing to walk with Christ, not just think about Jesus. And whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed, we re-up on this fundamental statement of faith. Now, I believe, I, I trust that Jesus is Lord and worthy of our trust. So in that spirit, I wonder if we might stand together and say what it is that we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Pray with me. Father, we do come to you today believing. Uh, Help us in our unbelief. Help us in this journey of faith, uh, wherever we find ourselves upon it. Remove barriers and obstacles in our way to, to trusting you and to releasing ourselves more fully to you. Thank you, God, for what you've done in this world in Jesus. Thank you that we point to historical claim as the foundation of our faith, not just a philosophical idea. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. We love you. We believe you're alive right now. We commit ourselves to you again, and we say thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.